and hello and welcome everybody to the Animal Central podcast, also available as a vlog on the Animal Central YouTube channel. And I'm your host and creator of Animal Central, author Frederick Fishman. We have some great content for you today, so what do you say we get started? And this is our first segment of today's podcast, and that is Animal News. And I've got a great article uh, for you from the New Yorker magazine, and this is from writer Katherine Schultz, and this is fairly recent. It's uh, dated March the 29th of 2021. And the title of the article is Why Animals Don't Get Lost. I've often wondered that. How is it that dogs and birds and bees they never seem to get lost. And the article starts out by saying that animals find their way to their home, wherever that is. And it's a remarkable feat that remains a mystery to scientists to this day. In 2013, after an indoor cat named Holly went missing during a road trip with her owners to Daytona Beach and turned up back home two months later in West Palm Beach, 200 miles away, the collective ethological response to the question of how she did it was, beats me. And that bafflement is generalizable. Cats, bats, elephant seals, red-tailed hawks, wildebeest, gypsy moths, cuttlefish, slime mold, emperor penguins, emperor penguins, to one degree or another, Scientists remain perplexed as to how they do it. How do they find their way home? And what makes this so striking is that we are in a golden age of information about animal travels. 300 years ago, we knew so little about the subject that one English scholar suggested, in all seriousness, that storks spent their winters on the moon. 30 years ago, a herd of African elephants, the largest land mammals on Earth, could still stage an annual disappearing act, crossing the borders of a national park each rainy season, vanishing into parts unknown. But in the last few decades, animal tracking, like so much of life, has been revolutionized by technology, including satellites, camera traps, drones, DNA sequencing, we now have geolocation devices light enough to be carried by monarch butterflies. We also have a system for tracking those devices installed on the International Space Station. Meanwhile, the study of animal travel has acquired tens of thousands of new contributors in the form of amateurs who use cell phones and laptops to upload observational data points by the billions. And it has also acquired, perhaps unsurprisingly, given the enduring, incredible journey-esque appeal of the subject matter, a new spate of books about advances in animal navigation. Some impressive examples of this ability are widely known. Salmon that leave their natal stream just months after hatching, can return after years in the ocean, sometimes traversing 900 miles, gaining 7,000 feet in elevation to do so. 
homing pigeons can return to their lofts from more than a thousand miles away, a navigational prowess that has been admired for ages. So, all of this to say nothing of the greatest navigational feats in the animal kingdom, the long-distance migrations undertaken by many bird species. If, like me, you live in North America and don't know about ornithology, you probably associate those migrations with a jagged V of Canadian geese overhead. There are half-rowdy, half-plaintive calls signaling the arrival of fall and spring. As migrants go, though, these geese are not particularly representative. They travel by day in intergenerational flocks with the younger birds learning the route from their elders. And by contrast, most migratory birds travel at night on their own in accordance with a private itinerary. How do they do it? Who knows? But most animals have that little chip inside of their head, whatever it is, that tells them how to get from point A to point B. All right, I'm going to give you three animal sounds here, and I want you to guess what they are. I'm going to play them first, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the animal. So let's start with the first one, okay? And you got to listen carefully for these. These are all insects, by the way. Ready? Here we go. Okay, hope you could hear that. These are cicadas. And every 17 years, like clockwork, the insect, this insect called cicadas, emerged from the soil to molt and mate. And the last time that happened was 2004. So guess what, kids? It's 2021. 2004 plus 17, 2021. That means they're coming out this year around the world and in the northern hemisphere as it warms up as it's starting to now that roaring sound you may hear in your neighborhood around the world most intense in the late afternoon and sunset by billions and billions of of cicadas you'll start hearing them soon the noise from these insects is generated from air sacs amplifying the sound to a loud buzz, a deafening roar in some areas where you live. You've heard them, I know you have. And it's the sound of late summer every 17 years. This year, in the temperate climates, of course, that's where you'll hear them. So how do you get them to stop? You can't. But they usually shut down at sundown. They are the loudest insects on this planet. Cicadas usually don't bite or sting, but humans can be pierced by them if they land on you. So uh, my advice is don't let them land on you. So what hunts cicadas? Virtually any predatory animal species. That's birds, reptiles, fish, rodents, you name it. They go after these things. 
So how long will they hang around? Well, folks, guess what? They're going to be with us until winter. Okay, here is the next animal sound. Those are crickets. Related to grasshoppers, you hear them chirping away at night usually, calling one another, looking for a mate. The largest of the species is called a bull cricket. It's about two inches long. You'll find them around the world, but not at latitudes at 55 degrees or higher. They are kept as pets as well around the world and used as a food source in Southeast Asia. In other words, what they're saying is people actually eat these things. How about a big bowl of those crispy critters, kids, for dinner tonight? They are also used as a food source for pets and zoo animals. They are highlighted in folklore and legend and books and poems. And they are defenseless. They are nocturnal. They love to hide around your house and start chirping. That's what they do. They chirp. All right, and here is our third animal sound. I want you to get a good dose of that one. Sounds similar to the cricket, doesn't it? But those are cockroaches. Cockroaches are related to termites, and they're a bad pest nuisance, and whose reputation precedes them. They have been on our planet, cockroaches have, for 350 million years. There are 4,600 species, and they're associated with human contact throughout history and today. They live and thrive around the world. And they are about the size of your thumbnail. They are abundant around the world, especially in the tropics and subtropics. But they can also live in the far north in cold temperatures, even in the Arctic. They live in leaf litter, debris piles, tree stumps, any place where they can hide. They are social insects. They like to stick together, and they're mainly nocturnal. They scatter when hit by light. And some cockroaches make a buzzing sound instead of a chirp. These cockroaches, they're also very hardy. They can go for 45 minutes without air. It can stay alive down to 18 degrees Fahrenheit. And some even hibernate in the winter. And most unusual of all, if decapitated, the cockroach head can survive for several hours. And so those are your three animal sounds for today. All right, it's time for our extended animal description. And we're going to stick with the insect world. And we're going to talk about flies. Well, if there is anything more annoying and at the same time 
more omnipresent. It's as universal as the fly, the common fly. And flies are a part of every strand of the web of life here on planet Earth. They are insects of the scientific order Diptera, and they have only a single pair of wings. In this Diptera insect order, there are approximately one million species of flies. Flies have a mobile head, and they have a pair of compound eyes. Their wings give them great maneuverability, which I'm sure you know when you try to catch one or swat one. Flies lay their eggs in a food source like your trash or your food that you're eating on a patio in a picnic. They live short lives and surprisingly they are important to humans. Why? Because they are great pollinators. Flies in some parts of the world are an annoyance when congested in great numbers, buzzing and biting humans. Of course, their mosquito cousins carry and transmit horrible diseases like yellow fever, encephalitis, malaria, dengue fever, and so on. Houseflies can spread foodborne illnesses. So what good are they except for pollination? Well, in some cultures, the larvae of the fruit fly in the life stage of the larvae is used as medicine to clean out wounds. But I would recommend a skilled nurse and a great liberal dose of antibiotics instead where available. Flies are found just about everywhere on Earth except Antarctica and the North Pole. And the largest fly in the world is the Gramidia heroes. Give me a medal for pronouncing that. Flies normally fly straight in a straight line. But their excellent maneuverability allows them to make 90-degree sudden turns. They can also make rapid and quick turns because of their great reflexes. Good luck trying to catch one. They fly close to the ground mainly, but some species can reach up to 2,000 feet in the air and are carried great distances by the wind. Their adult life is very short compared to their longer larvae cycle. How many flies are now alive at any one time on the planet? Well, one scientist estimated that there are 170 with 15 zeros after that, or 17 million flies for every person on the planet, and there are 7.5 billion people on earth birds frogs lizards bats spiders will all eat flies at any stage of their development in our culture flies have both positive and negative connotations in our literature and also in our belief systems the uses besides food source for our part besides feeding is of course for genetic studies and maggots, which are larvae of flies, can be used as fishing bait. So what do you think about our fly friends? Kind of mixed bag, isn't it? They have uses, but a couple 
sneaking into where you live, then it's all at war trying to find them and destroy them. This is the bottom line. Flies are useful outside in nature. They pollinate and they decompose dead things. They provide a source of food for live things. But inside, on or around your food, in or outside, kill them. They are not useful in that regard. All right, everything you wanted to know about flies, right? And I'm sure those of you who are listening right now, I would bet you anything that probably within 25 feet of you, somewhere there is a fly. Okay, we come to the segment where we read a poem or maybe some jokes, and I think we're going to read this little poem by William Blake, and it was published in 2001, and it's called The Fly. Little fly, thy summer's play, my thoughtless hand has brushed away. Am not I a fly like thee, or art not thou a man like me? For I dance and drink and sing Till some blind hand shall brush my wing. If thought is life and strength and breath And the want of thought is death, Then am I a happy fly If I live or if I die. And that is a wrap for today's Animal Central Podcast, and I want to thank you very much for joining us here at Animal Central, and I want you to tune in again for more fascinating animal news, stories, descriptions, sounds, poems, jokes, and maybe a surprise or two. Our website and direct link to our YouTube channel, which is growing weekly, by the way, with great animal videos, is at www.animals-central.com. That's www.animals-central.com. So take care and bye for now.